Jonah chapter 2. Well, I don't know if you've ever thought this or you've had a conversation about this topic, but here's the, here's, here it is. Why does the Bible reveal so many flaws and sins in God followers in its pages? You know, if you and I were to write a holy book, we would want the heroes um, to be muscular and handsome like me. And we would want them to be flawless. We would want them to um, have no problems in their life. They would be great decision makers. But you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and those that have become our great heroes on the fa- in the faith are those who have had struggles, and they've made decisions at times that you kind of scratch your head and go, that's not what a God follower would do. So why? Why, why does the Bible give us these stories when it kind of would... Logically, from a human perspective, let's have the heroes of our faith be those that just don't have any problems and they just seem to kind of sell through life um, perfectly. I think there's three reasons. I want to briefly touch on them by way of introduction this morning because they have everything to do with Jonah. First is simply this. I think one of the reasons why um, all of our heroes are not perfect is it reminds us that we are sinners in need of grace and need of salvation. And it reminds us that we don't have things right, that we do not enter into this relationship with God because we have merited something. There is nothing we can merit. As a matter of fact, all we can offer God is, even in our best day, Isaiah says, our best day of righteousness is what to God? It's filthy rags. It's not anything that God's that God would go, okay, that equals my holiness. That's why Paul wrote, In Philippians chapter 3, we need a righteousness that is not our own. Because our own righteousness cannot satisfy anything. And so Christ gives us in salvation His righteousness. So our heroes are flawed. And in their flawed nature, we are reminded of the need that all of us are saved by grace. Secondly, um, the pages of Scripture show some of the mistakes of our great heroes so that you and I would learn lessons from them. So we would learn, should I live this way? Should I not live this way? Should I choose this? Should I? And so it allows us to, to learn things. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul twice to these two different churches tells them that things written in the former days have been written down so that we would learn from them, so there would be lessons learned. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So one, uh, our heroes are flawed. It reminds us of grace as we are sinners saved by grace, and we need that. Secondly, it reminds us of what to do, what not to do. And thirdly, Um, It allows us, and this is always the point of everything, it allows us to see the beauty of who God is. That God's just incredibly awesome in that He rescues those who don't have it all together. So, of all the recorded prophets in the Old Testament, one of the ones with the greatest flaws is the one we are studying right now. He's the one rebellious prophet. He's the one, when we come to chapter 4, he's going to kind of go back. We're going to see something beautiful about him today, but, but then we're going to see in, in chapter 4 that he just kind of reverts back to kind of his old way and, 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 and is wrestling with and upset with what God has done. But today we're going to see kind of a turning point with him, a tender point with him where God gets his attention. And we will be reminded that God is a God 
who restores. And I want to touch on this just for a moment before we read the text. Jonah is a rebellious prophet and a reluctant prophet. And I want to talk about rebellion just for a moment. And I think one of the reasons we don't understand rebellion really well is because we don't understand sin very well. And so let me give a, a, a definition for us in regard to rebellion because this is exactly who Jonah is. Now, rebellion with God's people is never connected to, to ignorance. If you're a believer and you've read the Word and you've been around the church... If we're going to rebel against God, it's not going to come because we have a lack of knowledge. Jonah's problem is not a lack of knowledge. God has told him what he's supposed to do. So his problem is not a pleading of ignorance or I just don't know, so that's not the case. Another thing that sometimes you'll hear in church circles is this, in regard to believers, is that rebellion um, has come from a lack of encouragement or a place of discouragement where if somebody would encourage me enough or come alongside me enough, then my heart would really change and be a little bit different. And, and that's, not what we, that's not a definition of, of rebellion as well. It's not that we need some kind of encouragement. Here's the definition of what rebellion is. It's when we know what God wants us to do and we just tell God whatever. That's what rebellion is. So I can't put it any softer than that because that's exactly what it is. Jonah has been told exactly what is on God's heart. God's heart is, I want to rescue the Ninevites. And it's come to Jonah. Jonah is God's man. Jonah is the one that God has raised up, has called, and said, I want you to go. And his rebellious heart is just, okay, God, I don't care about that. I'm not interested in that, and so I'm going to flee. And here's what I want to say about this. The longer our rebellion lasts, the harder it is at times to get back. Because our heart gets really hard. But here's what we will learn also in Jonah. Is that as Jonah runs, guess who's also running? God. And the beauty of God's grace, we will see today this magnificence of it, is that though Jonah is running, God is in pursuit of him. There's two types of storms that come in our lives. There's storms of correction and there's storms of perfection. Jonah is in a storm of correction. Storm of correction is this. God allows something to come into our life because we're running from him and we need correction. We need discipline. So Jonah's going to be in a storm of correction. A storm of perfection is this. We're pursuing God and walking with God and guess what? Life happens. Sickness comes to those who are walking in holiness. And in the midst of the Walking in holiness, when difficult storm comes, its design is to make us more like Christ. It's designed to bring perfection. Now, the storm of correction can eventually in time bring more perfection that's there, but sometimes God brings us. So we're going to meet a prophet today, next part, and he's going to be reminded of what things were like before he began um, to run. Uh, And yes, he was swallowed. Um, A.W. Tozer said this, and just by way of review, A.W. Tozer, the great writer, said, If God said that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, then the whale swallowed Jonah. And we do not need a scientist to measure the length of a great fish or a whale. And so we will see again today that all of these Old Testament books, these Old Testament saints, these characters, they are shadows getting us ready to see the fullness of the coming of Jesus. And so we get glimpses of that even with Jonah. Just as Jonah is in the tomb of the fish, Jesus is in the tomb of the heart of the earth. And just as Jonah is raised from the watery grave, Christ is raised from the garden tomb. And so we see images of Jesus. Is it hot in here? I'm hot. See how some of you are like, some of us are hot. R.C., are you hot? 
do you, do you want me to put you in charge of the, the thing? Because can I just tell you that people will email you during the week that they were hot, they were cold, and can you do something about that? Okay. Yeah, do <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Send it to send it to dope dot Taylor. Yeah, send all of your emails to that email address. That would be absolutely awesome. Hey, Brad, can you hit that fan right there? Sorry, you people up here. I'm going to take care of us up here just a little bit. We're going to move a little bit of air. Thanks, Brad. All right, thank you. Well, maybe not. We're going to turn them all on. All right. If you're cold, rccrosby at hotmail dot com. <laughs> uh, I can play this game as well. So yeah. All right. Let's look at our text this morning. Jonah chapter two. And I want to read the whole chapter. It's not real long, but we're just going to deal with the first four verses today. Let's, I, I actually, let's put 117 with it because we're going to touch on that. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was the belly of the well, the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. And out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. And all your waves and all your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, and yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me, and weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down into the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And when my life was fading away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, and what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. All right, let's walk through this. I want to talk this morning about some things Jonah learned um, after he is swallowed up in the belly of the well. And so verse 17 of chapter 1 and, and, and verse 1 of chapter 2, uh, we get these points out of that text. And it's simply this. Here's what Jonah was reminded of. It's not that he, he didn't believe it beforehand, but he really came to know it intimately. And that's kind of the way it is, right? Sometimes there's a, there's a theory that we know. And then there's an experience that we have, and it really makes the reality of this come home. And here's the first thing that Jonah learned. He learned that Lord, the Lord is the sovereign Lord over all creation. He can send the storm, he can stir up the sea, and he can appoint a great fish to have the ability to swallow a human being whole, and he has the ability to keep that human being alive for three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So Jonah We'll see today, he gets it, the Lord is sovereign over everything. I can think that I can run away from him, but I cannot because he's over everything. And so in my running, he can run further and faster. In my devious nature and thinking I can hide, no, he sees all things because his sight and his vision uncovers everything. And so Jonah it's just like many Christ followers. They are running from the favor of God and the privilege of God that has come upon them in salvation. This was Jonah's life. God had blessed Jonah. He was in relationship. He was being used by God. We talked several weeks ago that, that 
one of the Old Testament prophets, Amos, says, listen, God doesn't do anything until he shares his secrets with his servants, the prophets. So Jonah got in early on with insight into what was going on as God gave his secrets. And so Jonah has got all of that, and he's come to a place now to realize, I cannot get away from God. I cannot get away from God. And sometimes what happens is this, is in our running, all that kind of life that of running away from God, all it leads to is broken fellowship. And that is all that Jonah has at this moment. He just has broken fellowship with God. There's nothing that was there. Now, at my house, we have a fish tank, and you may have one as well. And I made a mistake several years ago when we got our fish tank to buy two fish of the same species. And there are an aggressive fish but or semi-aggressive fish um, I didn't realize how big they were going to get. They're called Jack Dempsey fish, and I didn't realize when I bought two of them and other fish that were in there um, is that they were going to be the largest ones, although I'd done some research, but, you know, it kind of said it's kind of okay. Well, what I didn't realize, I'd bought a male and a female, and so all we do have now is babies. We have hundreds and hundreds of babies about every six weeks, and eventually the parents eat the babies, um, and there's no babies left, and they make more so that they can eat them. So we have a little cannibalism stuff going on um, at our house in our fish tank, and and, uh, and what happens is, because they're parents, and they become parents, um, the other fish in the fish tank didn't survive. Because the parents were like, okay, you other fish are going to eat my babies. Now, I eventually can eat them if I want to because I'm the parent. But they killed all the other fish, and so um, I'm eventually going to get rid of them. As a matter of fact, if you want to come over to my house today, I'll, and you can give me some money, and you can have them all, and we're going to get another fish tank with other fish. But anyway... The other night I'm feeding my fish that are cannibals and all the other things connected with them. And I'm feeding them and I had this thought because I'm preparing Jonah and I thought, man, if, if I could just shrink really small and fall into my fish tank tonight and, and this Jack Dempsey, we called him Jack. Did you know? Yeah, but anyway. And Jack swallowed me. I wonder what life would be like inside of him. So I'm watching him and thinking what life might be like if I was inside him. So let me tell you what life was like for a little bit for Jonah. Inside the belly of a whale is 100 degrees, and it's hot and humid. Three days and three nights, Jonah is in there. What did it smell like in there? Well, you've got fish coming in, krill coming in, whatever, whatever animal it is. Um, you've got rotten food in there. You probably have seaweed in there. It is salty. It is stale water. Well, what did it feel like inside the belly of the fish? Well, it was probably slimy, slippery, sticky. All kinds of things, probably any and everything. Have you ever lived inside a stomach? And so I don't know if you have, but anyway, I'm thinking that would not be good. And so, so it's just probably all kinds of things. What did it look like in there? Well, who knows? It's just absolutely dark. Jonah couldn't see anything. Just completely dark. Whales under the water. Even if it is the whale and it breaches, there's no light. He's deep inside the belly of the whale. What could he hear in there? Well, probably gurgling, digestive noises, Whale gas, I don't know what you hear inside there, but that was there. When the whale dove or the fish dove, water pressure. The Jonah would have felt the reality of all of that. And at some point in time in the three days, there's a little bit of the indication there that after about five minutes being inside there, it was not when he thought, oh, okay, I'm going to kind of soften my heart now. The indication a little bit is he probably sulked inside there and just probably went like this. Are you kidding me? I'm trying to get away from you, and, I can, and he, we, we see, we read there, he recognizes God's been a part of this. But the text kind of hints at, now we don't know fully for sure, that he may have just had a hard heart for a little bit more. 
of just not wanting to relinquish it and not be there, but there he is there. But something happens. Did you notice what happens? Something he hadn't been doing for a while, he now begins to do, and he talks to God. Now, before he said, God, I, I told you, we'll see in, in chapter 4, verse 2, he'll say, God, I knew you were going to rescue Nineveh. I told you that before I left my city, before I left. So he's talked to God, but he, he's talking to God in a different way. And so God is getting his attention, and Jonah in the belly of the well recognizes he's the sovereign Lord over everything. And I am here not by accident because I am here because he loves me and he's not going to let me run anymore. And so he's appointed this and it has swallowed him whole. And so it may have taken a couple of days or a day or 18 hours of whale acid to kind of soften his heart. I don't know what it took, but eventually his heart begins to soften. And it begins to, in the quietness of those moments, he began to think about the reality of things. And he prays. You know, you and I are this way. Crisis comes, we pray, do we not? We're needing a rescue. We're needing perspective. Life gets comfortable again. There's no stressors. We don't have this passion, this, this drive to pray. I read a story this week about a man who learned about this. Jerry Levin was a guy who became the Middle East uh, bureau chief for CNN in the early 80s. And uh, one day he was at a restaurant. And he got a tap on his shoulder. He turned around and a Hezbollah terrorist um, stuck a gun in his stomach and said, come with me. So he came, he was put into a room, he was handcuffed to a radiator where he was shackled um, and they left and just left him there. And as he waited and listened, this is what he said. He said, he recognized that I'm all alone and, and he said, I have become a Hezbollah hostage. He said, days pass in an hour of monotony and fear. And then he said, it was here that the most remarkable thing happened. He said he prayed for the first time in years. And he prayed to Christ. And he prayed, he said, God, please forgive even men like these because they are in part responsible for bringing me back to you right here in this room. So he got to that place where he recognized, okay, this is, this, none of this humanity-wise is good but sometimes in those difficult things, they become the greatest day of our life because it can become a pivot point in our life to trust with God. And that's what happens with Jonah. He's at a place that, humanity speaking, nobody wants to be there. But it becomes a critical turning point for him to think through some things. This is now not a hopeless place for Jonah. It's a hopeful place for Jonah. That things can change now, even in the midst of where he was. And I love that God does this with Jonah. And I love at times, though I don't love at times, that God does this with us. We prop our life up with all these human things to try to get us to places that we want to go. But God's wanting us to go where he wants us to go. So Jonah's paid money to go to Tarshish, southwest Spain. He's gotten on a boat. He's Jonah's wasted his money now. God's taken the boat away. Jonah has some companions on the boat. They've tossed him overboard. They're gone. Jonah's now in the belly of the whale. And all through Jonah's life, he removes all the props in his life that have brought support to him. And now he's in the belly of the great fish. And he's having to do this. I have no control over everything. And he's reminded 
that God is sovereign over everything. And so he prays to God and he calls out to God and he recognizes, I cannot escape sovereign. The sovereign one I cannot get away from. He has the power for everything. And verse 17 tells us the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And here's point two this morning. So the first thing Jonah learns is he's the sovereign Lord over all creation. He can tell a great fish to do whatever it wants to do. Now, I'll go so far to say this. Now, was that an existing fish? Sure. Could God have just made one right then to swallow him up? Sure. Listen, the point of Jonah is not the fish. It's not the creation. The point of Jonah is the creator who has the power to tell a fish to be obedient to it. And all the creation we know says this, that it just cries out in obedience. It's human followers that do not want to cry out in obedience to God. But the whale is willing to do so. So God appoints this whale, this fish, whatever it is, to rescue Jonah. And secondly, this morning, he rescues, Jonah realizes, us from death by God's great design. God designed it. Here we have a man who has dramatically lost his way. He desires to be away from God's presence. He's not looking for God, and yet the story tells us that God brings this shocking rescue to a person who's not even looking to be rescued. He has no desire to be rescued by God, but God pursues him, and God is going to do so. And it's shocking in this way. The one running from God, the one running from the Lord, is being run after by the one who's being run from. And that confuses you, I'm sorry, but it's, he's running from God and God's running after Jonah. And he's not going to let Jonah get away. And are you not glad today that he just doesn't always leave us to our own devices? Can you imagine where we would be if he just didn't pull the leash sometimes and stops our, our pursuit of things that have no meaning and no life. And so here's Jonah. So he rescues one who's not looking for it. And the fish swallows him, not to kill him, but to shield him and to save him. That's why it was brought. And so God preserves Jonah by his great providence and his great sovereignty, and he does a miracle. Miracles are designed to create awe and worship. And that's what God does as the, as the great fish swallows up Jonah. He creates a miracle. And this week in my office, I thought, okay, that's the purpose of this. The purpose is to be in awe of God. And so I just worshiped that God has this incredible power in our lives to do something like that to preserve someone. And I think back over my life, and you can think back over your life, that God God's allowed us to run down some roads, but then he sent something to swallow us up or to get caught in our sin so that we will not have to continue down that path, so that we'll be brought back into a relationship. And I'm so thankful that he does not let go of us so easily. And he does not, and Jonah's story tells us that. We put our kids in time out. We put them in time out, not because we're mean. We want them to what? Think about what they did. Jonah gets put in a time out. It's a pretty serious time out. And as he's there, he's contemplating things. Now, thirdly, this morning, is also connected to verse 1. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from the belly of the fish. Thirdly, Jonah realizes that God prepares us for his will now again he has not desired to do God's will but God's not through with Jonah he wants Jonah 
to do what God, he wants him to do. And so in the belly of the fish, Jonah needs to change a heart. And so he's going to prepare Jonah to go to Nineveh in chapter 3 and share with the Ninevites and preach. And so God, Jonah realizes, prepares us for God's will. And God uses all kinds of tools. And you look in the Old Testament, he's writing on the wall, dreams, animals. He just uniquely has done a number of things. And with Jonah, it is the belly of a great fish. And this has all been designed to draw Jonah into deeper relationship with God. Now, Jonah's wanted to go on a Mediterranean cruise, and he was on one real briefly. And now he's in a submarine, in a sense, under the sea. He wanted to be on top of the sea and see Spain. No, you're not going to do that. How about some gastric juices of a great fish? And what seemed like initially a place of death for Jonah, it becomes a place of safety and salvation for him. And what seemed like a place of utter darkness, not a physical light comes on, but a spiritual light comes on in Jonah's heart and mind. And he recognizes, I'm not alone. I'm running from God, but God's running after me. And I'm not going to get away from him. And so God was still his God in the sense that Jonah hadn't become an atheist. He just was uninterested in following through with what God wanted for him. And I must, I've wondered this week that Jonah just down there just chuckled momentarily when he realized, when his spiritual senses and light kind of came on and just realized, you know what, God's going to have his way in my life. And I just need to surrender. I just need to surrender and I just need to do so. And sometimes when life swallows you and I whole, that place can become the place and the point of time for our greatest awakening. And that's where Jonah is at this particular point in time. So let me just say this to you. Y'all with me? Good morning. We are not going to win the battle of wills with God. And if you're here today and you're just fighting God and you're fighting God and you think you're going to win, you are not going to win. Now, he may let you run for the rest of your life and just may go, okay, you want to do so? Okay, okay. Most of the time, though, and just about all the time, there's leash pulling. We also had our house. I'm getting older, and I'm trying to get rid of children and animals out of my hat life, okay? Our daughter moved to China. We got her dog. I'm a, not a dog lover, I'm a dog tolerator. It's not that I'm against dogs, but I'm just kind of a tolerator of it. And so now I've got a little tiny dog, and now I've got this gigantic dog that pulls Canyon down every time he tries to take the dog out on the leash. And just, you know, so we've, get, we, we've got that. And you know how the leash works. You know, those of you who are strong enough to get a big dog, and you're strong enough, the leash goes out only so far, right? And then when the dog just goes, oh, a rabbit, a squirrel, and and just there's something on the end of that that's not real comfortable right we've seen that there's a jerking and this is what happens with Jonah God has allowed him so far and then God just goes nope Mm -mm." and you and I are not going to win this battle of wills and I want to remind us that the pulling of the leash is an action that flows from God's eternal goodness not from his anger Because he's so good, he doesn't let us just run away. He pulls it to remind us, 
Don't go there. Don't go there. Stay here and watch this. Here's Jonah in the belly of the great fish. Constant moving. This fish just constantly moving. All the stuff. Opening up the mouth. Fish coming in. Old fish leaving. New water coming in. Old fish just constantly. All this stuff going on. And right there in the belly of the great fish becomes an altar of worship for Jonah. And he prays to God and he recognizes God is here with me. And I call these sanctuary moments. I've had sanctuary moments in places like this, what we're doing this morning, where my heart is just connected with God and worship with God. I've had sanctuary moments out at a camp or on a mountain or on a plane or wherever the case may be. And God just affirming the glory of who he is. My heart is connected with him. And then I've had Jonah moments where I've been running maybe in an area of my life and saying to God, no, God, I'm not going to bow there. I'm not going to bow there. And God steps in and he pulls the leash. My pride was broken. And all I could do was look up and worship again and say, you are the sovereign Lord and I've got to bow. And that's what Jonah does here. And God's not done with him. And he, he, there in the belly of the great fish, Jonah has a sanctuary moment. And he worships the Lord. And the necessary steps that he needed toward restoration began to happen, and they began to take place. And what happens always with, with sanctuary moments, we push things aside that don't need to be there so that there's just a focus on the Lord. Fourthly, this is my favorite, so get ready. If I yell, email RC. Look at verse 2 all the way to verse 9. Does that look like an Old Testament book? What does that writing look like? Is there a big book in the Old Testament that that looks like? Book of Psalms, right? Listen, look up here. Listen, watch this, watch this. You know why it looks like the book of Psalms? Because it is. There in the belly of the great fish, Jonah quotes eight different Psalms of David. These are taken from eight different Psalms of David. So here he is in the belly of the great fish. He's running away from God. God says, no, you're not going to run away from me. He appoints this rescue of Jonah. He's there. And what had once been a dominant part of Jonah's life, the word of God, he had memorized this. Now he's in darkness. There's a Jonah moment for him that becomes a sanctuary moment for him. And guess what is brought out of his heart in the darkness of that moment? The word of God. And the word of God just is brought out in the darkness of the belly of the well. And so what he speaks back to God is eternal truth. And it becomes a prayer for him saying to God. So once what he had treasured, he had put in his heart, he had run away from, he had forgotten about. But now in the darkness as he's alone with his thoughts and he has this worship moment there in the belly of the great well. Watch, God awakens his word in Jonah's heart. And God does this all the time. Eight different psalms here. Why is the word of God so critical to Jonah's spiritual recovery? Because God speaks through his word to the heart of man, and that's what changes us, and that's what brings about the renewal of our mind and our heart. And God's word brings this cleansing and this callous-removing work in our lives. And it always, his word, guides us back to who he is. So listen to this. No matter how uncomfortable Jonah was in the fish he found in it an altar of worship and at that altar the word of God became real to him once again 
So listen to this. 2-2, it says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me, Psalm 18-6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. 2-3, your billows passed over me. Psalm 42-7, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. 2-4, I'm driven from your sight. Psalm 31-22, I'm cut off from your sight. 2-4, yet shall I look again upon your holy temple. Psalm 5-7, but I through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house and I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. 2-5, waters closed in around me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Psalm 69-1, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. 2-7, my life was fainting away. Psalm 142-3, when my spirit fails within me, you know my way. Psalm 2-7, I'm going to look toward your holy temple. Psalm 18-6, from his temple he heard my voice and my cry reached to his ears. 2-8, he talks about vain idols. Psalm 31-6, speaks about vain idols or empty nothing. Psalm 2-9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm 3-8, Jonah 2.9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm 3.8, salvation belongs to the Lord. And I think this is absolutely important, and you need to hear this. You need to hear this today. All of us need to hear this. In the darkness of our moment, in the critical place where we've been running from God, and he allows life to swallow us up, if you have buried something in your heart that's connected to God's word, guess what's going to eventually kind of come out? It will be his word. But if there's no hiding of his word there, then there's nothing that's going to come out. Now listen to me. We Western Christians love quotes. We love quotes, inspirational thoughts. And I just wanna, I wanna plead with you, throw them in the trash. We don't need man's inspirational thoughts. I don't need, when I've got cancer, to know what George Washington said about something. I need to know what Jesus said about the darkness and distress of life. And we are so want man to say something when God has spoken and it's all that we need is his truth. And that's a false pseudo building up of man's inspirational creative thoughts and what we need is the speaking of God. Now I love Christian quotes by pastors and things of that nature. I'd love those things, but those aren't the word of God, okay? Don't, don't, don't equate. We should never equate Christian books as the word of God. They are books about the word of God, but they are not the word of God. What we need is the word of God. There was not a seminar Jonah needed in the belly of the well. There wasn't an inspirational thought that came to his email box that was going to fix what he was dealing with. He needed something firm, and the only thing that's firm is the eternal truth of God. And so the God awakens the word in Jonah's heart. Isn't that amazing? He quotes eight different psalms. That's what came out. And for burying worldly stuff in times of crisis, guess what's going to come out? Worldly solutions and worldly answers. Point five, he makes known his presence. 2-2, two, two, verse 6, and verse 7. Jonah says, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Look at verse 6. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, and yet you brought me up, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. 2-7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. In the darkness, Jonah learns again of God's true nature and the beauty of it, and he recognizes that he, watch, is he alone in the belly of the well? No. Who's in the belly of the well with him? God is. 
Yeah, but he's rebelling. And that belly of the well is a symbol of his rebellion. No, the belly of the well is a symbol of God's rescue and God's presence and God, God being with him and near him. And so he says, I called out to the Lord out of my great distress. I think that's an understatement. Is that not? I mean, this is the stressful moment Jonah is in. And instead of running from God's presence now, he begins to see God's presence in a strange, fresh, new light. This phrase, Sheol, is the place of the dead. Basically what Jonah says, man, my life is death. I'm about to, there's no way I'm going to come out of this. Now, when he got swallowed up, God didn't come in and say, okay, I'm just going to let you be in here for three nights and three days. I'm going to kind of got a picture of Jesus. He's going to come one day, the Messiah, and, you know, he's going to be. So he didn't tell Jonah all this information, and I think Jonah gets to the place where, okay, if this is my life, then this is where I'm going to be, and it's like death, but God, you're with me. You're here with me, and God's presence begins to bring restoration in Jonah's life. Just like for the prodigal son, God's presence when he came back brought him back into the right relationship. All right, point six. Here's what Jonah found out. That God is present. And so when we pray, he hears and he responds. That's point six. Jonah learned that God hears and responds. And 2-2 again, it says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Shiro I cried and you heard my voice. So if you're here today, and there's chaos, stress, distress, whatever area it is in our lives today, here's what I would say to you. Here's what Jonah would say. Call out to the Lord right now. You call out to him. Call out. Yeah, but I've been running. But you don't know what I've done, Doke. No, I don't. But he does. Can you think of anything? I mean, Jonah, I mean, I'm telling you, Jonah, this is not a good man pre this moment. And yet God pursued him, and God wanted Jonah to still be in a right relationship with him and do what God wanted for him. And so, so Jonah calls out, and he recognizes, I've got to get my heart right. And as he does, he knows this, God hears what I'm saying, and God responds, he's going to act. He's going to do something about that. And so if you're here this morning at the, at the bottom right now because of disobedience, confess it and turn to him. If you're here this morning at the bottom right now because of disobedience, it does not mean that you have been abandoned forever by God. There is hope today, and it's an unbelievable hope. All right, let's close with this. Look with me in 3 and 4. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, and yet I shall again Look upon your holy temple. Now, look up here. You're going to think I'm trying to do a trick question. I'm really not. Who threw Jonah literally? I'm not trying to trick you. Who literally threw him out of the boat into the ocean? The sailors, right? Physically. Is that who held him? Okay. They did. They were the ones who picked him up, threw him overboard. And now he's in the belly of the well, and Jonah's had time to think about things, and now he recognizes who actually threw him in the... God did. Because here's what God does. God will use others in a place of ministry in our life to accomplish his purpose and to get us where God wants us to. So now Jonah recognizes there is a mystery of the sovereign hand of God that he does things that sometimes 
may not make sense, but it's real, it's true, and he recognizes you, God, were in control of the moment, not the sailors, and I ended up in the belly of this fish because of God. So he recognizes the mystery of God's hand, and we're going to talk about it here in just a second, that brings this unbelievable hope. Now listen, a couple more thoughts. His life, Jonas, our life, is always in the mysterious hand of God if we are a believer. We are positionally placed in His hand. Jesus speaks about that twice. We are in His hand, we're in the Father's hand. John 10 speaks about that. But the mysterious hand of God and the working of God of His children is unique at times. But it just tells us this. He is always in control because He's sovereign over all things. And behind everything in our lives, God is at work. His hand is at work. He is doing things. So Jonah is swallowed up, not to be destroyed, but to get right with God and be prepared to embrace God's will again to go and do so. Now, we put up on the screen all the time, I said it before we did it, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is divided by the Hebrew alphabet. That's why we do these sections. They're about eight verses apiece most of the time. So we do a section each time, put them up on the screen. There's two through the years that we've done this that have always stood out to me. And they kind of prick my heart and, and kind of awaken some thoughts in me every time that we do them. And they have a lot. They're, they're, they are psalms that David wrote, but Jonah could have written them. Listen to these. Psalm 119.67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now... I keep your word. Psalm 119.75 I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness, God, watch, listen to what David said, and that in faithfulness, God, you afflicted me. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't, uh-uh. God's not that way. God doesn't afflict us. Oh, really? Yeah, he does. It's a storm of correction. So the psalmist writes there, I know, O Lord, your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you afflicted me why? Because his word brings life. And if you're running from his commandments, then he wants to call us back into the commandments because it's in his word that life is found. And Jonah's beginning to see God in every aspect of his life. The sovereign work and move of the hand of God is present. And God is always at work. And even watch, even in our rebellion, it cannot stop God. Now, let me give you a practical illustration. So we took the students down to Mission Arlington yesterday to work in the Christmas store. And so in the wrapping paper section, they didn't allow me to do anything there but just hand tape to my wife. Um, but back behind where Courtney and um, Maya were wrapping, uh, there was a box of Bibles over there, and it's called the Healing Bible. And so I think somebody, I think Mark asked me, what do you think the Healing Bible is? And so I went over and there was one sitting on top of the boxes, and I put it out, opened it up. It's a charismatic Bible, um, those of that persuasion. The first page of this Bible, um, there's a letter. Somebody somewhere thought that they ought to write something that, uh, that was first person from God. Be really careful about that. So they were writing, this is what God said. And the first line said this. I am, basically it says this, I am the God of the word and I watch my word to make sure that it is accomplished. New. No. If God cannot speak, 
And his word accomplishes purpose. He doesn't have to, he's not watching his word to make sure that he can counteract what mankind does. Watch, listen. He just speaks and his word accomplishes its purpose. And that Bible, I hope it's not going out all over America, but it probably is. That's why I call you and I all the time to know what this says, not what somebody else says. You check what I say. Every Sunday morning, you check what I say. We want our lives to line up with the truth of the Scripture. And that's what's critical for us. And so here is Jonah. He sees the mystery of God's hand. He's awakened his his heart and his mind once again to the truth of God's word. And here's what Jonah realizes as we finish this morning. He realizes this. Lord, I'm in a place of Sheol. It's a place of death. There's no light. And he wonders. He says in in verse 4, he says, I am driven from your sight. Jonah wonders Has God taken me up on my desire to be away from him? And he's just going to leave me here in the belly of the world. Again, he didn't tell him, I'm just leaving you here for three days. Just calm yourself. It's all going to be okay in three days or three nights. He didn't tell him any of that stuff. There was no time frame given to him. He's there, and he's thinking to himself, I am driven away from your sight. And he thinks, I think, on the temple in Jerusalem. And he's wondering, will I ever go back there again and worship? Will I ever see it again? And as he sat with his thoughts, he prayed to the Lord. The word was awakened in his heart. He understood that God was with him there. He understood that God heard him and God responds and that he has never been out of the mysterious hand of God. And as he realized that, he realized this, yet I shall again look at your holy temple. I'm going to be restored because you're a God who can restore the rebellious into a right relationship. Jonah realizes it's not over for him. Now he's going to be an enigma. When we get to chapter 4, we're just going to go, what is wrong with you, dude? What is your problem? What is your problem? But in this moment here, he's been brought to a low place to recognize, I'm not in control. Listen. Could some of the issues be in our life? Financial. Because we've not bowed to God's standard. And if we're going to continue to not bow to his standard in, in whatever area of our life is, guess what's going to happen? There will be no blessing there. No blessing. God doesn't bless disobedience. Are we in agreement about that? So if his word says, and again, let me just say this, we're not going to pound money in the future. We need to let you know that we're at a critical place right now. But listen, if we will walk in obedience, what does God always do? He blesses obedience. So it doesn't mean that, that things are going to go great. Pam, our whole marriage, we at Pam and I, we have tithed. And we don't wait till the end of the month to do so because there's never any money at the end of the month. So it's first fruits. What do you do first fruits? You pay them first. Do you get that first fruits? You pay them first. And then sometimes you make an adjustment of your life based on what's there, and sometimes what's there has nothing to do with adjusting your life to because there's just nothing there, and guess what God does? He makes it work. Does he not make it work? He makes it work. So for us, we learn this from Jonah. 
Hope comes in walking in obedience with God. And so God's driving Jonah back to the place of obedience. By the way, 2, chapter 2, verse 4, can also be seen as a resurrection picture. Jonah is entombed in a place of death, and yet he will live again to see the holy temple. Jesus was put into the tomb and was resurrected and is exalted, and we will see him in the heavenly temple. So all of these are shadows of what is going to come. Before, Jonah had felt so overwhelmed, but now he has a fresh understanding of God's sovereign work of his hand and that he will look again on the temple and the land of the living. 2.3 says, I'm cast down, and 2.4, that fear is cast away. God is present. All right, we're going to deal with 5 through 10 next week. I love, I get to say the word vomit at church. It's kind of great, but... uh. Um, we're going to talk about the picture of what that looks like uh, next week. Um, is this not a great, great Old Testament story of lessons to learn about life? Let's pray together, all right?